Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is Archery Unfiltered, where I, Wendell Souza, cover California archery events and what it takes to make you a better archer. What's up, my fuckos? It's another day. It is, uh, what is today? It's October 27th, 2022. Outdoor is pretty much over. Uh... What is it? I think there's still like like field, some kind of field event going on down south, but the rest of us have switched to fat arrows. <clears throat> and uh, you know what's really interesting about this time of the year when it comes to competitive tournament archery? You get a lot of people that kind of dip off the scene. They kind of they kind of fade out. I mean, you get also get some other people that fade in, I guess, that the, sometimes the scenery changes with outdoor and it's an interesting I don't want to say phenomenon but what happens is some people just don't like indoor and I understand that um, or I say I understand that but truth be told I fucking love indoor archery it's I mean I don't need to wax poetically to you guys about it I'm sure I have before but it's just archery stripped down to its its you know simplest form as far as just standing there. Uh, stripped down any further, it would be bare bow. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like 20 yards, just pound, don't miss, you know? I love it. I love it. Just don't miss. Um, I know I've told you guys, there was a time where I shot, and uh, I remember first time shooting indoor, and I shot and I thought, holy crap, how do people chain together three tens? That seems fucking insane. And fast forward a couple years and I'm like, okay, let's try this. You know, the goal now is whatever Bodie's doing. <laughs> Man, it's it's amazing. But some people just don't like it. And, you know, I understand. I, I think... Um, you know, just standing and shooting for some people, uh, it's a lot of pressure or the pressure gets ratcheted up a little bit. You're generally not out in the fresh air. You're not walking around. Uh, again, there's no, there's no room for error. Uh, when you're shooting field rounds or safari round, generally you can miss an arrow here or there and, you know, you can punish yourself for it later, but you know, it, it might not come back and bite you like an indoor score, but you know, I remember when I was young, my grandfather told me, oh, oh, you know, I have an audio clip. This is what he was saying to me. It's okay lose to opponent. Must not lose to fear. He said, must not lose to fear. And I heard someone else say something about that. I think it was uh, our buddy Alejandro Waka. Uh, I think he put up a quote that said, don't let fear like stop you from 
going out and trying stuff, you know? Um, I, I totally butchered his quote, uh, 110%, but that's about the gist of it, you know? And I know, I know people get discouraged when they see, you know, or if they're like, say you're a 299 shooter or 298 shooter, or even if you're a 295 shooter and you see someone like Bodie go down and throw down three perfect 30x games and you know you're like uh, you might have that voice in your head that says I, I can never do that but you know to that all I can say is you gotta remind yourself of this little clip it can be done do you believe it Bob? believe it? I don't know Charles huh? I don't think it'll work Charles it will work no it will work what one man can do, another can do. You can't kill the bear, Charles. He's he's ahead of us all the time. It's like he's reading our minds. He's stalking us, for God's sakes. He so they're talking about Bodie Turner right now. Bodie's the bear. You want to die out here, huh? Out here, just shooting safari archery. Oh, then die. I tell you what, I'm not going to die. I'm not gonna die. No, I'm gonna kill the bear. He's saying I'm gonna shoot a 30x game. Say it, I'm gonna kill the bear. Say it, I'm gonna kill the bear. Say it. Say I'm gonna kill the bear. Say it. I'm gonna shoot a 30x game. I'm gonna kill the bear. Say it again. I'm gonna kill the bear. I'm gonna shoot a 30x game. And again. I'm gonna kill the bear! I'm gonna shoot what a 30x game! Another can do! What one man can do, another can do! Say it again! What one man can do, another can do! Say it again! What one man can do, another can do! Yeah! You're goddamn right. You're goddamn right. So remember, you guys, when you're out there getting discouraged, what one 15-year-old boy can do, another can do. Another adult man could do. Okay? So... Stop getting discouraged. Stop stop saying I can't. All right? And fucking plan your way to get there. Do it realistically, though. If you're a 293 or 294 shooter, dial for, you know, an achievable goal. Let's go point at a time until you hit 300 and then start working on that X count. Okay? Um, you know... If you listen to the Blake Jerome podcast, he talks about it. Realistic goals. Set yourself up for success that way. But sweet Jesus almighty. Ooh, are you not allowed to say that anymore? People get offended. Sweet. Um, sweet. Ah, fuck it. Sweet Jesus almighty. It's indoor season now, baby. Uh, I'm shooting my first event this weekend. Very small, local, uh, indoor uh, format, or 20-yard format, I should say. They shoot it outdoors. But what's really great is it's a lot of arrows. It's going to be a shit ton of arrows. So I'll get to see what I need to work on. I'll get to see where I'm weak. Um, you know, you can shoot scores all day for practice, you know, in your basement or, you know, wherever. It's one of the main, bo like, I'm going to say one of the main bonuses of going to league. I know a lot of you guys are starting league. Maybe you had your first, you know, league night already. Maybe you're on your second. Uh, 
Um, I used to love going to leagues. At, when I was competing a lot, um, I would go to a league on Monday night, and then I would go to a league on Tuesday night, and then I would get to one, I think Wednesday or Thursday. I was doing three leagues. I, w- I would shoot one in uh, like just south of my work. Um, I would shoot one uh, just a couple exits north of my work, and then I would shoot one in uh, Benicia, like this neighboring town. Um, I also shot a league in uh, Pacifica, which is like 45 minutes, maybe even an hour west. I got to go cross a bridge for that one. So I was just shooting leagues all the time. And leagues help, I think, because you start to get used to, or you don't get used to, but you get exposed to nerves and how you shoot under that nervous pressure. And you don't get to do any do-over shots. Um, you, If you miss, someone's going to talk about it. Whoever the guy is reading your score out is going to be like, mm, that's a nine. You know, that kind of shit. And so... You know, there's a little more pressure. It's I, I still don't feel like it's the same pressure as, you know, a competition setting or if you're shooting for money, but it is still pressure. And a lot of people have asked me, Wendell, how do you get used to nerves? And I have told people nerves is not something you just get over. It's like having a really shitty or annoying roommate. Like you just learn to live with it, you know, like they're always going to be there. Maybe they're clipping their to- your their toenails on your laptop, but you know you, you just learn you just learn to brush it off and do your work. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know there's there are good tips out there like Sean Elza talks about on Blake's show talks about you know his exercises to help you know calm his his heart rate his blood pressure and all that, which I think is phenomenal. I think that shit is super cool. I think that's some like high level sniper, like marine sniper type shit, you know. Um, but yeah, eventually, you know, you guys will will figure out what works for you and what you can use to help you. Uh, one of the things that I think helps a lot of people is not putting a whole ton of weight on what you're doing. A lot of people have this attitude of this is my min, this is my my moment to shine. So I'm going to make it or break it right here. And I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with that. But for me, what always helped was thinking long term. Like what, you know, what's coming up after this? This isn't the last shoot for me. You know, this is, these aren't the last arrows I'm going to shoot for the year. So I got to make them good. Make them good because you, you make shots good, you know. But it's not going to be the last of them. So don't. You know, don't kick yourself if they don't go in, you know, but I don't know. I'm sure Blake would have some kind of, you know, correction for that. He's, uh, you know, he's a little bit further, further along in, in the black belt lineage than I am. Um, you know, speaking of Blake, <clears throat> I said it a couple episodes ago that Blake cared about spine and I was incorrect. I re-listened to his indoor thing. He had just talked about black Eagles being, having you know multiple different spines for their fat arrows that's all i I think he agrees as much as the rest of us that there really is no spining uh an indoor arrow or trying to get an indoor arrow to you know quote break the spine i've heard that said a bunch there's no breaking the spine of something that's a 150 grain arrow 
unless you're shooting like Cameron Haynes bow with a 300 grain point. And even then, you're probably going to be slightly stiff. But um, I got to tell you guys. Okay, so if you listened to this show last year, indoor season was coming around. I was swearing by the 150 grain point, right? And I was telling everyone, I was running around and telling everyone, guys, you don't need a heavy point. Run 150, go to town, right? And then I found out, you know, Bodie ran, I think Bodie ran like a 120 or a 150. Uh, So Bodie's in that range of lightweight, um, you know, lightweight stuff. And then this year, a lot of people are like, hey, you know, Wendell, I... I tried the 150 and it's not doing it for me. Uh, for everyone that has tried the 150 and it is not working for them, first, I recommend getting some kind of adjustable weight point. And I know it's not sexy. You know, a lot of people like getting like the competition pro point, you know, solid point with the exact weight. You know, I I think an adjustable point is crucial if you are trying to find the point weight that works perfect for you i personally don't think you know i think if you're not having the right success there's something else going on with your setup you know what i mean um but i'm going to reserve the the ability to say that i'm wrong okay and um the reason for that okay you guys have listened to this show i've told you in the past one of the things i did early early on this year was I fletched up three different arrows, or I didn't fletch up, I left them bare shaft, I'm sorry, I, I built up three different arrows with three different point weights, 150, 220, and 300 grain points, and I went in the backyard, and I shot each arrow at an each individual target, so number one arrow would go to number one target, number two, number two, number three, number three, and I measured the groups, and guys, with no veins on them, you could not tell the difference between the 150 and the 300, and, and most of you people are like, well, how did you, you know, surely they, they didn't all hit the same spot. It's like, no, no, but you can measure the group, right? You can measure the group that's going down there. And so with the groups being, you know, what they were, they were identical. Group sizes were identical. So that told me you could run the lightest point, but the fletchings are what were important. And truth be told, I see a lot of performance um, gained in vein selection, and, you know, I mess with all different types of veins. It's one of my weaknesses. I probably ruin, you know, a handful of arrows every year just scraping veins off and then cutting carbon off with them. Um, as of right now, the winners for an indoor arrow for veins is the um, AAE 4-inch uh, vein. I really like the FFP 360 vein. Um I'm going to try testing the 360 on my triple X's to see how those do against the, um, the AAEs and the Q2I vein. The Q2I vein is fucking awesome. I, so here's the, if I can give you the rundowns, my opinions on the three, right? The Q2I vein, they stick to arrows like crazy. Like they're hard to cut off. So fletch them up right the first time. Right, because they're difficult to pull off. They're stiff, which is awesome. That means they get they do their job steering. They're shield cut. They look cool. The base of the veins got like rubber or something on them. Like they almost look like you don't need glue. Like you could just stick them right to your arrow and they'll, they'll stick. 
but you got to glue them on. Um, they're solid. They're freaking solid. The only con to the Q2i, right, whether it be a three and a half or four inch vein, they're heavy. They're going to be like, I, I don't know the exact number, like grains, but they're going to be way more than an AAE and they're going to be way more than a um, FFP, okay? Going to the other veins, the AAE veins are really soft, and I don't know if that's a bad thing or not, but shooting, at least with my hunting bow, I've compared all different types of veins, right? And the AAEs normally, as far as accuracy goes, the AAEs come in like third, right? And that's out of a large, I mean, that's still really good, but I find that they get edged out by the flex fletch and that gets edged out by the Q2I, at least with a hunting arrow. Um, you know, I really like this, the flex fletch silent night, 300 veins. I shot those in Vegas last year. Um, I have three sixties. Now I think the three sixty vein is what Mike Schlosser runs on his indoor arrows. I could be wrong. He could be shooting four hundreds now. Or the long, you know, the long uh, four-inch vein. But the 360 is right there. Great steering. It's a lightweight vein. My only gripe is that it's like you have to prep the base of the vein. Your arrows shaft's got to be clean. You got to clamp the shit on there and leave it. It You got to do your work when building that arrow. Whereas the Q2Is, you literally don't have to clean anything. You could just glue that shit to... You could glue it right on top of the label you know, of your arrow, it'd be just fine. You don't have to, you know, wash your, the end of your shaft and like whatever solution you need to get it like oil free. Like the Q2I, it's, it's ridiculous how good they stick. It's whatever that black shit is. They put on the bottom of their vein, solid Q2I is on top of it. They should sell that black shit so you can put your FFPs in there. <laughs> like if they sold that separately, you could dip the base of your veins in that crap that could be some money right there. Um, and then the AAE vein. That's what I have on my triple X arrows right now. They fly dope. All right. I'm, I'm able to piece together 300 from time to time. Uh, I got no, no, no gripe with those and they stick. They stick good. I, all I do is I prep the base of the vein, clamp the shit on. Um, the only veins that are like a little sketchier seem to be the FFPs with how you, glue them and fletch them on. I know someone out there is going to be like, Wendell, you moron. It's so easy. Why are you making this difficult? I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know why it's so difficult for me to put veins on arrows, but I do think the Q2Is that they're the benefit of Q2Is over most is that they're so easy to put on. They are heavy. So keep that in mind. If you're building your arrow, right? Generally, you don't want a bunch of weight in the back of your arrow, but who knows how true that is? Who knows how, you know, could that be? Bu- yeah, that could be bullshit. Who knows? All right. Um, you know, with that being said, moving on. Uh, Why did I get into that? Talking about veins and such. Indoor season. It's here. How are you guys practicing? I will tell you my practice routine. I know I've told you guys before. I'm shooting a 300 round a day. Sometimes two if I can get my ass up early enough. I literally had my neighbor say the f- finally broke the silence and came over and said, uh, do you have to practice at 4.30 in the morning? And I said, are you outside at that time? 
is it disturbing you? And he goes, well, sometimes I wake up and I can look out my window and I can see you have a spotlight on your target in the backyard. And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's all. I said, okay, don't look out the window. We good. <laughs> we kind of chuckled about it. And I'm, I'm practicing, motherfuckers. Um, couple things going down. Uh, let's see. So you guys know I'm shooting the new Hoyt Stratos 36. It is equipped with gas bowstrings. Now, I don't know if this is a a bad thing for me to talk about or not, but you guys know my show is unfiltered, and I give you guys full transparency. There is something going on with the number one cam from Hoyt, the HBT cam, where these cams are eating up strings and servings like uh, ungodly, ungodly fast. And uh, I know a close friend of mine, he has a Hoyt Stratos 36 with freak show strings. And he's got like serving wear, like very strange serving wear in four different spots. And one of the spots is the same spots that I have it, which is right where your string, like your main string, right where it touches your cam, right where it goes into the cam track. So something is up. And I don't know if Hoyt just, you know, I know they, they reduced the size of their cam track. Um, my buddy Tom Parkinson had talked about it. And I think, I think even Steve and Steve Anderson talked about it when he was talking to Rudy Sandoval on Rudy's podcast. But my gas bowstrings are just conventional bowstrings. They're not, you know, 32 strand natural. They are 24 strand tan. Like they're literally colored 452 and they are they're getting beat up the main strings getting beat up i have less string wear than say my my buddy that i mentioned earlier but i showed him a picture and he goes i have that too he's like it's no big deal you take a little bit of sandpaper to your to your cam and you should be fine now as much as i like this bow right i don't think that you know as a tournament archer, yeah, I'll, I'll fine. I'll take some sandpaper to it and fix it up. But this is not something I think. I do believe Hoyt jumped the gun here when they did this, or when they did whatever change this is. I'm shocked that they did not have staff shooters put their own strings on and shoot these prototypes for a prolonged period of time, and then corrected this issue. I, I, I from what I can tell, a lot of people are having this. You know, I have a friend in Sacramento. She has this problem as well. So, you know, if if this is a... Uh, basically, it comes down to this. This is either a Hoyt cam issue, right? And Hoyt designed the number one cam either to have a sharp edge or burr or extremely narrow cam tracks in certain spots or it's the gas bowstrings. Now, I don't think it's the gas bowstrings, just because I have heard other people have this issue with first string, right? I consulted the man, Tom Parkinson, and he told me, well, it appears that, you know, your your servings, your end servings are made of 3D, uh, 3D serving material and not Halo. And this has been confirmed. Like, I, you know, this is true. Uh, and generally 3D, from what I know, or from what I've learned from talking to Tom is that 3D serving materials used on on the ends of strings 
to help reduce peep rotation. Right? It is an inferior material for end servings, um, as illustrated by this. But is this really the gas bowstring's fault, or is this the HBT cam? I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to tell. I am going to put a different... I'm going to change the strings out. I'm probably going to have to change them out fa faster than... I mean, it looks like my my serving's about to like fully break through any minute now. I've been shooting these strings for like two or three weeks, so that is a little too fast. Um, I know gas has a great warranty, so I could just get this string replaced, but I kind of want to replace it with... I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. I kind of want to... I think I'm going to call Tom. You know, I've talked to Tom Parkinson about it. He is such a master with this stuff. If he makes a string and this stuff still happens, then I can rule out the string maker and I can rule out that this is indeed the cam that has this burr or sharp edge or narrow cam track that's causing this issue. Um... If anyone else out there is shooting a Hoyt Stratos number one HBT cam and you have this issue, send me a message and let me know how many people are are dealing with this. As of right now, if I'm going to put a number to it, I know five shooters that are dealing with this and they are not tinkers. These are people that just set their shit up and shoot. Okay. Now, I like this bow. I'm going to make this work somehow. But for the less experienced shooter or the newer shooter that just ponied up, you know, a ton of money in the middle of a recession for this bow, this is kind of irritating. You know, this is not, you know, I'm not going to go, you know, usual. I know you guys are like, oh, oh, here he goes. Here he goes. I'm not going to do the thing Wendell always does where I'm like calling, oh, this is bullshit. And you guys should have blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Like it. It's just a minor inconvenience at this moment. The bow still shoots good. Okay, Just means I'm going to have to change some strings and figure out what the hell's going on. Um, if this is a cam issue and it's because the tracks are too narrow, say goodbye to running like wide you know, bundles of 452 in here. You're, everyone's going to be forced to run a, a smaller um, you know, a smaller string. Uh... Other people have been running into issues with their cables also experiencing serving wear in weird spots. I can honestly tell you my my cables look just fine. Cables look perfectly healthy. It's just my main string that is starting to fall apart. So anyway, I I hope I hope you guys um you know if you guys have a Stratos, look it over and let me know. Uh what it's looking like for you okay um hopefully you're not dealing with this and it's just a handful of us that are um just because i mean who wants to who wants to deal with this crap especially right before the kickoff of indoor season so <sighs> onward have you guys been checking out social media lately there has been a back and forth well not really a back and forth just say words are being exchanged between or I haven't been in people are just talking. Pro archers are talking, right? And some of it's like, yeah, you know, pro archers they got to make content, they got to get some some stuff out there. 
And sometimes it's under the guise of teaching you something, right? Or under the veil of teaching you something. So check this out. Uh, Tim Gillingham released a video where he shoots some bear shafts through paper and they're bullet holes. And then when he fletches them up, he gets a, I don't know if it was like a high right tear or something. And then he says, now I just got to tune my bow again, you know, so that this is a bullet hole. He goes, this is why I don't bear shaft tune. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He says, this is why I don't bear shaft tune. You're going to have to tune it again anyway, you know. He said, bear shaft tune is a waste of time. You never shoot bear shafts in competition. You always shoot veins, blah, blah, blah. All the things you've heard already. Levi Morgan then is doing like a, a video or a live stream or something. I can't remember what the video is. And someone says, well, you know, Tim Gillingham said blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, Tim Gillingham's the guy that taught me to bear shaft tune. So I don't know why he's saying that. He's like, I always bear shaft tune. And, you know, it's always worked for me. It's something I've always done. And that's Levi Morgan. So you can assume he's doing that with his hunting bow. He's doing that with everything. Right? Can you imagine bear shaft tuning with broadheads? Wow. Jesus. That sounds like a nightmare. But anyway. Levi Morgan says, I bear shaft tune. Right? Now, between those two guys, they're both top shooters in their divisions, right? Both divisions are very difficult to shoot in. So who's right? You know, there's the kind of this debate going on. So what happens, right? When two guys like this both say opposite things, right? Well, then you get Tim Gillingham's army goes, yeah. Yeah, what Tim said, just shoot through paper. You know, tune it and shoot it through paper. Forget about bear shaft. You got Levi's, you know, minions going, well, you know, do the bear shaft thing. I'm going to I'm going to tell you guys the truth. All right? The truth is who gives a shit, honestly. I know a bunch of you are like, "Oh man, I came to this podcast so I could learn a thing or two." I you know, there's plenty of things you can learn here, but regarding like if you got one guy that doesn't bear shaft tune that shoots an incredible score and then a guy that does bear shaft tune shoots an incredible score, then the fucking argument is is no it's, there is no argument. <laughs> it's religious dogma or it's just religion at that point. I don't think dogma is the right word. But it's religion basically. You know? If you believe it makes you better and you can do it, then you do it. Here's why I don't bear shaft tune. I fucking can't. <laughs> All right? I torque my bow. I naturally torque my bow. I have like a lobster claw for a left hand and I have a I have a body that something that somewhat resembles baby Godzilla. So I cannot hold a bow in a perfectly straight line for if you viewed me from the top. So I can't do it. What do I do? I shoot for a bullet hole through paper. Does it work for me? Fuck yeah, it does. Do I wish I could bear shaft tune? Fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> All right. So does it matter? No. No, it doesn't. It, it Okay. Within reason. If you ask a guy like Blake Jerome, he'll tell you, yes, it does matter. But if you took away the ability to bear shaft tomb from Blake, he would find a way to win anyway. You know? A good example of this is Paul Tedford. Maybe some of you guys don't know who this is, right? But a couple years ago, there was this dude named Paul Tedford. He shot for Prime, then he shot for Hoyt for like a weekend, and then he retired. He was like besties with Stefan Hansen. He was the inventor of the crap product aim size okay paul tevard is an amazing shooter 
And he straight up says that he doesn't even paper tune. He did a video once where he goes, I'm going to paper tune. And he puts out a sheet of paper. He goes, this is how you shoot a bullet hole. And then he whips the gun out and, and blasts a bunch of holes through the paper. I mean, in an attempt to be funny, he made a really good point. <laughs> he doesn't need to... He doesn't need to paper tune. And he went on to do a fat run at Lancaster. If you guys watch some of the older Lancaster classics, Paul Tedford just stands there and pounds fucking 11s all day long. I, he's got a super crazy run. And I think he took out a whole grip of people. I can't remember if he won it or not. But I do remember it. It, it really put it. I mean, his name was already on the map. But for guys like me that didn't know, you know, who didn't know who he was, it really put a spotlight on him. It was like, holy crap. This dude's no joke. He's also a two-finger thumb button shooter, which is fucking bananas. He's got a really strange release. He's a lefty. But God damn it, that dude could shoot. And of course he's going to tell you it's from his fucking multivitamin or whatever, but it's whatever he's doing. Now that guy, if he doesn't paper tune, that's something. That tells you right there that... Especially for indoor, it's you like you are the prime driver to shoot to shoot good. Like you can outrule tuning. Um, man, where was I? I had more. I had more Tedford shit, but anyway, anyway, moving on, moving on. I um, oh, that was else. So he he didn't even like to shoot twenty sevens. All right, check that out. He did not like shooting 27 diameter arrows because, of course, the dude doesn't tune his bow, right? Doesn't paper tune his bow. So 27s probably flew like shit for him. And he said it wasn't until Stefan Hansen convinced him after year, like, you know, years of him shooting 23s and everyone else is shooting 27s, Stefan Hansen's like, bro, you're leaving X's on the table. Get your white ass over here so I can cut you some 27s. <clears throat> And, you know, they did. And I would imagine at some point, Paul Tedford learned to tune his bow somewhat, you know, to get those 27s to agree with him. Or he literally had mind over physics and fucking just learned to shoot 27s good. If that's the case, that's incredible. You know, that's almost worth trying aim size. It's not, but it's almost worth it. So... Uh, there's a good there, yeah. There's a good example right there for you. To everyone that is going off, or, or you know, to the people that have asked me, what do you think about this debate, bear shaft tuning versus paper tuning? My answer is, who gives a shit? That is day one, childish debating. Do whatever you have to do to get the arrows in the middle. That was that was a f well, it's not even a famous quote. Dave Cousins said that to us during a seminar. <laughs> he said, do whatever you have to do to get the arrows in the middle. We are shooting a result-driven sport. I guess all sports are results-driven. But it's not like it's not like interpretive dance. It's not like ballet. What's the thing they do in the Olympics where you kind of like dance around on the floor? Is it gymnastics? I don't know. I never watched it, but I know there's some... Oh, or swimming. The thing where you're swimming and you're dancing with all your homies and you all got to move like all together, you know? 
coordinated swimming, synchronized swimming, we're not getting graded on how we look shooting. We're just getting graded on where the arrow lands, you know? If you got a white knuckle, grit your teeth, <laughs> you got to make a face like Jacob Marlowe, or you got the string all up in your ghoulish face, fucking do it. Just get it in the middle. Because no one's going to think about that when you're on the podium or when you're collecting your big check, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's what I think about that. I wonder what you guys think. Do you agree, disagree? Um, I, I won't debate you. So, you know, if you disagree, that's fine. That's fine. You know, just keep it to yourself. Um, like I said, I pay per tune. If I could, I would bear shaft tune, but I'm just not, I'm not built for it. I'm too cattywampus. Um, I'm what is known as obtuse. So, yeah. Anyway, well, let's see. Let me go down my list here. The Hoyt camera, the gas bowstring component. There is an issue. I will find it. Yep. Who here is going to Lancaster this year? Lancaster Archery Classic. Speaking of, um, if you are going and you're a cool cat, send me send me a message. I have a friend that is also going. Not me. I'm not going. I'm on. I'm going to be on diaper duty for a hot minute, but I will be one of these days. One of these days, I'm definitely going to... Damn, damn, that looks like a fun event. It also looks way harder to get on the stage than we think. A lot of people are like, oh, you just shoot some qualifiers, right? No. You shoot qualifiers, and then you shoot matches, and then they take the top of the matches, and the top of the matches go to that. So you could be top qualifier, bumped out in the first series of matches. All that shit. Ugh. Man. That, oh, man. You guys want to know what one of my weaknesses is? Is indoor tournaments that have a qualifying round and then matches after where they seed you top to bottom, right? Because <laughs> it's just like, fuck. You know me. I believe it's any dog's day. So that means that doesn't matter if you're on the bottom of the list. You, you got a chance to knock me out, dude. It just takes one fuck up. And then all the hard work you did during qualifiers is, is done. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one of my big fears. But, you know, try to have a clear mind. Just shoot the good shots. You know, you, you came to shoot. Um, but, damn, the, the Lancaster event looks tough. It looks fucking fun, though. If anyone's ever been to Lancaster or Pennsylvania, where that place is, lots and lots of Amish people. And all I can say is Amish people seem cool. You know? They're awfully sunburnt, but, I mean, you know, they're white people and they do farm work, so it's going to happen. I did... I, you guys might have heard me say this. when I, <laughs> Last time I was there, I was there for field nationals, right? I was in Mechanicsburg, but it's only like an hour away from Lancaster. So I drove to Lancaster. It's probably like 40 minutes from Lancaster. I drove there so I could see the Mecca. I could see this, the shop. And as I was like pulling in my... I had a Nissan truck. I was pulling in. A Amish dude pulls in with like a horse and buggy right next to me. And I was like, sick. I go inside and he's looking at a Matthews compound bow. <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 dude, you, you're going to drive it. You're going to, you're buying a Matthews compound hunting bow, but you're going to drive the wooden, you know, wooden horse powered car over there. Like that didn't make any sense. I thought you couldn't use tech. 
I almost went and just been like, no, 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 dude. You shoot those bows over there. Fucking go point at the stick bows. Um, speaking of stick bows, has anyone watched Alone? Has anyone caught that show on History uh, History Channel or a? I think it's History Channel. Um, where they they take a bunch of people and they put them in the wilderness. They give them stick bows and a couple other things. You get to pick like ten items, and then they're like, "All right, <clears throat> don't die out here." And these people are shooting like squirrels. They're shooting grouse, which are birds. Uh, they're shooting beavers and porcupines and shit with stick bows and these aren't like target archers they're not like stick bow target archers they're just starving people and they're white people so it's not like uh, you know you're like oh well it's probably a dude from zimbabwe he probably shoots shit like that all the time he's got to feed his family no no this is like a, a you know a hippie or a hipster or a yuppie from uh, uh missouri it goes out there and just starts slaying animals. And it's just like, holy crap. I don't know about you guys. I know this is a compound, uh, compound-esque compound show. Uh, but if you guys have ever dabbled in the art of the stick bow, it's tough, man. And I can only imagine shooting it with broadheads. But these people, just, like I, I've taken classes on bare bow, right? Where you you grab the string, you pull it back, index finger touches the corner of your mouth, you continue to pull, and then you kind of like release, you know, as you pull, that kind of thing. Or you can do string walking, where you like put your thumb down, and that marks a certain distance, and that's where you start your, you know, your anchor draw back to your face. Or you can do, you can face walk. So instead of putting your, your index finger on the corner of your mouth, you put it on your eyebrow or something. All these different tricks these people do none of it they have dog shit dog shit form they're terrible archers but they've killed a thousand times more stuff than i have killed with my compound bow and it's just like tiny targets you know it's one thing to shoot a water buffalo at or was it like a bison or something at, at 20 yards even 60 yards but these people are shooting squirrels in the face they're shooting a, like a grouse right up the asshole, and it's just like, dude, dude, you have to be such, such a savage shot to make those. It's it's so humbling and impressive to watch. And you guys know me; I'm like, I'm I'm a white belt when it comes to bow hunting, um, but I have this like profound respect for bow hunting right now, and and taking an animal, harvesting an animal. It's um, it's an amazingly difficult thing to do, but it's, I don't know if it's just our genes or what, and I know a lot of you guys are, are archers, a lot of the people listening to the show are dudes, you probably resonate with this, right? Uh, even the ladies that listen to the show probably also resonate with that, like that is something about trying to harvest an animal, a wild animal, it's like, it's in our DNA to do it. And hitting an animal is one thing. Harvesting an animal is something else. And it just eludes me to this day. Um, I'm going hunting this weekend. Going hunting next weekend. I have tournaments also on both weekends. So I'm running it running it real ragged. Wifey's not going to be happy with me. Because uh, those two weekends are going to be... There's not going to be any baby poop on these fingers. 
and I say that and I drink my soda. All right. Uh, in other archery news, stuff that I wanted to cover, Chris Schaff got DQ'd for steroids. So let me uh, go over this right now. Um, Schaff supposedly ate a uh, tainted, contaminated meat in Guatemala. He tested positive for a steroid. Let me pull up this article. Okay, so Schaff tested positive for something called boldenone. It's a banned steroid. Um, and he got disqualified from the World Cup in Guatemala after failing drug test. I do believe the drug testing agency, whether it USADA or WADA in this case, are I think they reversed this decision. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, international testing agency. He pretty much proved that it was this was in his system because he ate contaminated meat. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, Ugh, "Come on, dude, contaminated meat." Uh, if you guys Google boldenone, right? And how widely it's used in like South America cattle raising it, like this is a common thing. If you, it, most of you that if you're listening to this and you live in South America, you probably, well, one, you're probably jacked, you're probably huge, um, but two, you're probably also probably you know roided to the gills with with this stuff. Um, but it, it's kind of weird. Um, because I do believe Khrushchev wasn't the only person that tested positive. Yeah, so it says here on on uh, his Instagram, not on the article, that five other athletes and him all tested positive at this event. Uh, you know, they had to stay at, at the field and at the hotel and eat the food provided by World Archery or the tournament hosts. And uh, kind of strange... You know, not a lot of talk about these other shooters that got that tested positive. So, you know, I'm curious. Well, why did Chris Schaff get get yanked? Is it because he was higher up in the rankings? Is that kind of strange that you would only disqualify the guy that ended up shooting high? You know, a, a higher score. It's it's I don't know. It's weird. It it reeks of incompetence on World Archery's behalf. And um, if anyone knows Chris Schaff, I don't personally know him. I did go to a Hooters with him in Cincinnati. But it wasn't like I was all chummy-chummy with him. I, I was literally just tagging along with my buddy Alan. My buddy Alan's tight with all the all the big-name pros, and I'm kind of like Alan's Pokemon. So I went because I was following Alan and got to, you know, got to hang out with Rio Wild and Chris Schaff. Chris Schaff does not fuck around. Like, at this Hooters, he's not, like, sniffing the waiter's asses or waitress's asses. He's not drinking a bunch of Long Islands or whatever. He's literally just having water and sitting in the corner, right? So, if if that's that kind of guy, unlikely he's going to do a steroid versus, um, well, versus, for him, versus anything. He's probably not fucking around with, with anything that's going to get him banned. But... Another thing that's kind of strange is like in our sport, wouldn't you rather, if you're going to get popped for something, wouldn't you rather just do 
beta blockers, like the thing that's actually going to help you. Like I, I could only see someone doing steroids if you're like an Angus Moss type dude who's going to run 30 ounces and 40 ounces on your bow. You know what I mean? I mean, you got to, he's already built like a moose anyway. You know, it would make more sense to dope up and then carry more weight. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like steroids would be the thing for this sport. And I'm just, you know, I could be way wrong. It's there's not many athletic bodies in this sport, but uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. If anyone has steroids out there and you want to send them my way, you know, I've already had a kid, so shrink. The, I can I don't mind shrinking my nuts a little, but yeah, fuck it. I'll I'll do some D ball or whatever and see how much weight I can hold. Um, but no, in reality. All joking aside, <clears throat> send me beta blockers. That's that's what I want. <laughs> um, I do think beta blockers would be the thing that they would have popped him for. So, I don't know. Uh, what's funny is a, a good friend of mine, I was talking to him about this, my buddy Jim, and he said, well, you know, American beef is laden with all kinds of steroids and shit. I love Jim, but I don't think that's true. All right. There might be hormones, you know, or hormone enhancers in our beef. Maybe the shitty beef you guys eat, but the beef I eat, no, no, it's not like that. Well, the beef I eat is called chicken anyway, because I can't afford beef right now in in this fucking economy. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, it's funny. I talk about chicken so much because I miss beef, right? Because beef is getting so expensive now. I'm always talking about chicken. It's like the first sentence my daughter has learned to say is, Daddy want chicken? <laughs> it makes me laugh so, so hard. So, um, as you guys know, I had Alejandro on my show last, right? Uh, Alejandro, amazing shooter. Shot a 1383, I believe it was. Or somewhere around there for a fourteen forty, and I told I told all you guys that was one of the highest scores that California's seen, um, at, at least one of the highest scores I've seen in California for a long time. Um, second to like Chris Osterlink, who shot I think like fourteen oh seven. There is a name that I left out of that that I believe deserves to be talked about, and that's Randy Long. Randy Long's been on this show before. And Randy Long shot a 1399 at a 1440. A 1399 is up there. If you consider how high Alejandro was amongst most of the winning scores for a 1440, and then Randy Long being at a 1399, stellar shooting. And, um, you know, I don't have the date for that score, but it is the same Randy Long. And Randy Long holds. A whole series of records for um, California um, California archery. So it'll be exciting to see Alejandro and where he progresses with the sport, what he decides to do. Um, I'm not saying that I'm any good at this, but I wouldn't mind taking a stab at a 1440. They're just always in weird times of the year, you know? It's always right in the middle of indoor season or it's like right after outlaws you know or during the it'll be during hunting season or it's always something 
it's always something weird. So I'll, I'll definitely get around to doing one eventually. Uh, as of right now, that seems to be the sentence I'm saying for everything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, you guys know me. Keeping it straight. Keeping it honest with you guys. I'll let you know what it is. Did Hoyt mess up and make a slight boo-boo with his cam? Or did <laughs> Wendell ranting and raving about gas bowstrings turn out to be correct? I, I'm kind of leaning towards the cam thing just because other shooters that don't shoot gas strings are also experiencing this problem. Could be the string makers don't know yet how to build strings for this cam system. You know, I know um, Bowtex, for example, can't fit as many strands as most bows can into their cam track. I think they're like a 22 or 24. I mean, don't quote me on that, but they're, they're light on the bow strings or on their strand count. So, uh, I'm going to get a replacement string and I'll let you guys know, you know, I'll put, I'll put it through its paces and let you guys know what, how it's going down. All right. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, as always, the show is brought to you by carbon craft stabilizers. They are the poor man's perfect stabilizer. That's right. They are light. They are stiff. They look cool. They blend really well with an AAE. Uh, 15 degree uh, what do they call these brackets little little downward mount uh, quick disconnect they look good with all types of stabilizer weights they are uh, they're the best stabilizer I've shot yet I remember my friend Cody Price was one of the dudes that was originally telling me how great these bars were and I was like shut up I don't care Right, I'm shooting my Easton bars and now I'm, I'm a full blown carbon craft guy, you know. And um, it's been so long. I've been shooting carbon crafts for so long. Like I will happily shoot another bar. Earlier in this year, when I signed my gold tip contract, I, and it's not to boast, all right. I don't mean to boast like I got a gold tip contract. A lot of people can get them. Okay, I know I know guys that don't shoot anymore that still have a gold tip contract. So. I, I tried the Bee Stinger premieres and uh, not as good as the Carbon Craft Bar. And I don't know if it's a bad thing to say. I don't know if I'm not supposed to say that because of the contract that I signed. But to be 100% honest, they're just not as good as Carbon Craft Bars. Um, I've tried a series of bars. These things are the shit. I do want to try Conquest Bars. I have a feeling Conquest Bars are up there. Uh... And maybe whatever Doinker, you know. But Doinkers used to be so fucking expensive. I remember there's a Doinker stabilizer. It was like 700 bucks for a bar. It's like, dude. Who the f- Did nuns make this stabilizer? Like, oh, why is it so goddamn expensive? I don't know. What's even a bigger kicker is you see like Chinese knockoffs. Which means someone in China has the drawing for a Doinker stabilizer. How did they get that drawing, dudes? I don't know. I don't know. Anyone buying Chinese knockoff shit right now? <laughs> okay, so I had another idea. There's a, a Chinese bow called the X10. Like, they literally call their compound bow the X10. And it looks like a Hoyt, like an older Hoyt 
like maybe a podium got mixed with a PSE bow. It has machine lines all over it, right? So you can tell like they're not they're not running it down like super fine precision. It's it's uh it's it's machined, but it's a piece of crap, right? Right out of the gate. Who's with me in starting a company where we get one of those, we reverse engineer it, and we fucking steal it. <laughs> and then we start making our bow. An American knockoff of the Chinese bow. We'll call it the X11. And that, you know, I bet you, if someone could pass that idea along to George Technichov, let him know it's my idea so he can't cut me out of it. But I know how much he hates these Chinese knockoffs, and he's got some pull. So maybe he can fund my my American knockoff idea. And then what we do is just go down the line. Every product that China's stolen, we're going to steal back. All right? We got to find a way to machine the shit so it's cheaper than China. And it has to be better quality. So we might have to get it machined in Mexico. At this point, we might, or maybe Florida, you know? Maybe we can have it, the shit machined in Florida. Um, but yeah. I, I say we start taking the shit back one product at a time. We start with the bows because it looks like they actually they stole two different designs and then like merged them together to create their own. So I think at this point we should just steal that thing right off the top. <laughs> I said we changed nothing except for the stickers and the badge. <laughs> Who's with me? All right. Can I get a GoFundMe crowdsource for that? You guys want it? Everyone get let's get in on this. Shit, if we could call it the if it could be Archery Unfiltered's bow, that would be fucking great. If this podcast could have its own bow and it, our bow, my bow, or I should say my Archery Unfiltered's bow is a is a American knockoff of a Chinese, that would be fucking slick. So, let's get it going, guys. Help me out with that one. All right. Show's also brought to you by DB Custom Coatings. My friends Darren and Bet out of Napa, they Cerakote bows. They make boring bows look good. They make old bows look new. They can make it match your accessories if you are so inclined. Darren could even Cerakote parts of your stabilizer. Um, I know Darren is like heavily overworked right now, but if you guys have some cool ideas, send them to Darren. He does a really great galaxy, like uh, a galaxy paint job. He's done a couple where he just makes like, it looks like the Milky Way on someone's bow. Not the candy bar, like the fucking galaxy. It looks really slick. Um, He's done that. He's done kind of like a glittery, he can do like a glittery finish. It reminds me of like the way boats used to be painted back in the 80s. Um. The guy can do everything. My favorite thing that he does is he can put an American flag on your bow. Like the whole thing. Themed American flag. So I've always liked that. Um, I always wanted to get something done like that. But now that my buddy Austin has it, I have to do. I have to be different. So maybe we'll do like the, the colony flag. Where it's like the circular stars. Uh, you can't do the you can't do the confederate flag because then everyone fucking raises an eyebrow at you. Someone's going to kick your bow over while you're like getting a soda. Also, I'm not from the South, so that would be super poser of me anyway. 
But yeah, I'll get something done eventually. I just got a very plain Hoyt bow. I seem to do really well with bows that are super plain. I always, <laughs> I always try to make like a Jesus analogy, where it's like, yeah, you know, that's how Jesus rolled, right? <laughs> but I'm nowhere close. <laughs> I haven't even read the book. I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, guys, I'm going off on a stupid tangent here, so that means it's time for me to get off this phone or get off this mic. I hope you guys have a great week. I'm going to shoot the Coyote 600 on Saturday. I will cover it live or at least try to recap it and let you guys know how it goes. I'll tell you guys what I have to work on to get better, things that I did right and things that I did wrong. Maybe you can relate it to yourself. I would hope so because you listen to this show for one reason or another. Um, Maybe just to hear your friends (laughs) as guests. But uh, I'll let you guys know how that goes down, all right? So thank you for listening. Uh, All right, True and Filtered out.